The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files and Podcasters for Justice are creators united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism that's been pervasive in our country since its inception, and we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black Lives Matter We believe that black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we witness it. In creating digital media, we've committed to using our voices to speak against racism and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. You'll find many resources in the show notes about how you can help. Thanks for listening. That's what we do all together. Put it up on the board with index cards, you know, every single scene or you know, beat of the story, however you want to define it. Uh, very spare. We don't, I don't write very much on the cards. Uh, you just want to kind of show the twists and turns of the story. And then you bring the people in from the other room and you pitch them the first episode. They haven't heard the whole break, so they're new to it. You get a fresh eye. And then they tell you what they think episode two is about. So you're never looking at a blank board. When you pull off the episode to go off, have the person go off and write the outline. Episode two, you already kind of know what you're talking about. Greetings, scribes. The Writer Files is back. And I'm your grateful host, Kelton Reed, praying that you're staying safe and sane during these intensely challenging times. And this week, the creator, executive producer, and showrunner of the award-winning TV series, The Handmaid's Tale, Bruce Miller, spoke with me about his storied career as a TV writer-producer, what it's like to work with author Margaret Atwood, and adapting her critically acclaimed novel for the small screen. The Emmy Award-winning TV writer and producer has worked on dozens of shows and movies and got his start working on NBC's long-running hit ER in the early 90s. Miller's adaptation of Margaret Atwood's prescient, critically acclaimed 1985 novel, The Handmaid's Tale, considered by many to be a modern classic of dystopian literature, the drama about a totalitarian society that subjects fertile women called handmaids into childbearing slavery. In its first season, the show won multiple Emmy Awards, including outstanding writing for a drama series for Miller, and became the first on a streaming platform to win an Emmy for Outstanding Series, 
beating out the strong field of nominees, including The Crown, Stranger Things, Westworld, Better Call Saul, and This Is Us. The Handmaid's Tale has gone on to win a Peabody Award, a Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Award, Producers Guild Award, Writers Guild Awards, and was honored by the American Film Institute as one of the top 10 TV programs of the year. It has garnered dozens of Emmy nominations and was recently renewed for a fourth season. In this file, Bruce and I discussed how getting fired from so many gigs helped his career, the brilliance of Margaret Atwood and the influence it had on both the writer and the adaptation. Why TV production is all about schedule and writing is the opposite day in the life of a TV writer, why he doesn't believe in tables in his writer's room, and the one thing you have to be able to do when you get your big break. Stay tuned. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published, and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, welcome back to The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by a very special guest. I've got the Emmy award-winning showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale. Thanks for joining us today, Bruce. Uh, it's very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into your process as a writer and producer and all the things that you do, all the hats that you wear. But um, yeah, as we do with so many, so many writers... Let's um, turn back the clock, kind of uh, get into your superhero origin story. And yeah, where, where uh, you know, you've come all this way in your career. You've, you've had this storied career as a, as a TV writer and producer. Um, where did you get the, the impetus and the, the drive to, yeah, get to where you are today as this um, kind of lauded and award-winning uh, producer? <laughs> Uh, well, the 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 lauded and award winning part is is a lot of uh, luck and a lot of perseverance, but but it doesn't happen to people who are brilliantly talented and persevere like hell. But th- those are lovely things. But you know, uh, it, it's actually a question I've been thinking. I've had time to kind of think about uh, over this period, which was you know kind of what drew me to writing and what. Because you know, when you're in a period where the world is changing so much, you're kind of saying, oh, okay, so am I gonna start telling different stories? Have I been a person who tells stories about the world around me or not? And, you know, it's interesting because one of the first times I remember really thinking about writing was when I read The Handmaid's Tale in college, because it was my senior year in college. I had been majoring in writing and I had kind of just started to figure out kind of a, you know, a a, a style of writing that made sense to me that I really liked. And then when I read her book, it it lined up with that. Um, So, but I, it's funny because I'm drawn to writing for two things. I I love the imagination part, all of that, but I love the technical stuff. I love the, the minutia of structure and exactly how you're playing out these dramatic moments. And I'm, I'm uh, as much, you know, kind of a, a a watchmaker as I am a, you know, a painter. I I like it to be, I, I like, I like to understand exactly how things are working and fuss at that level. Um, so I think kind of the imagination comes first. And then if you fall in love with the writing, the craft of it, then that 
is a totally different part of the story. You may never fall in love with the craft of writing. Um, and still be a very good storyteller and a very good writer, but uh, that's been help. That's been helpful to me. Yeah, well, absolutely. But yeah, going back like to earlier in your career, you've worked on some famous, famous television programs. I've been fired from every <laughs> important show in the last twenty years. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, just looking at your your bio, and of course, you know, you kind of got your start on ER, right? Yeah, it's it's um, when I. Very first started in TV, I got a job on a show called Higher Ground, which was created by Matt Hastings, who's a gentleman who I'm working with on Handmaid's Tale this year again. So mm-hmm. out of that was my very first television job. Um, yes, I I, I uh, was writing features at the time, and John Wells uh, very kindly kind of uh, brought me in. And and I have to say, I I probably owe him two years at some point down the road because he taught me how to be a writer and a producer, and I don't think I really did much of those things for him. You know, they were, he paid the future, you Hmm. know, for, for, to to kind of push me on my way in a good direction. Um, and so, uh, I had a, I I was there for two seasons and it was a a spectacular experience. And I really got to see kind of how that show was run at really peak efficiency. So, um, it was, it was amazing. And he was, uh, you know, it's a great person to really look at from the start, but on a lot of levels, it's like, you know, if you're learning how to pitch, you don't want to watch a major league pitcher because you just have no friggin' idea what they're doing. You know, it's <laughs> right. like it's like they might as well say, just throw much faster. You know, it's like, all right, you know. So so you know, it was hard to to what you you didn't really you couldn't kind of understand what the subtleties and the political reasons behind all the stuff was, but at least he was a very nice guy about explaining stuff, very gentle about, you know, kind of saying you did the wrong thing here and maybe you should do this in really polite, polite ways. And so he was a, a treasure and, you know, and he's been a very good resource along the way whenever I needed him. So, um, uh, it was a great starting point with John Wells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well that seemed to be, um, a, uh, a fortuitous meeting. And then of course, <laughs> yeah. And now all of this and, and you're looking at now, yeah, what like what are you doing right now? Are you well just kind of yeah? We we are uh, we were two weeks into shooting Handmaid's Tale, uh, the fourth season of Handmaid the Handmaid's Tale, <sighs> um, when we had a shutdown. So we were barely, uh, barely, barely chewing on the beginning of our giant piece of licorice when we had to stop. So, um, but the writers' room was meeting and continuing to break the last few episodes of the season. So we continue. Um, but normally at this time of year, I would be as a showrunner, a writer producer, uh, you, you kind of have the job of writing. So that's a full-time job. And then you have the being on set part and then you have the being in prep part and then you have the post part. So there's all these jobs, three of those vanish. I'm not in prep. I'm not in post. I'm not shooting. Bam. So yeah. what, what happened was, you know, we got, this chance to focus. Now, the fact is, you know, it still takes a while to kind of break the end of the season. I think mostly because we're, you know, like everybody else, it's harder to, it was, it's been hard to focus and adjust to such a new working environment and a, a whole new working style. I mean, we're lucky we, you know, we had the technology all up and tested out because we do so much work with Toronto and also our writing staff knew each other quite well, but it's still very, jarring so now we're just finishing up the writing for season four 
Um, and uh, this would be the time I'd normally be buried in making season four, and I wouldn't be thinking at all about season five until I had a season four to look at. You know, you don't want to, you you don't want to say I thought it was about this, but when I watched it, it was actually about this, and I wrote a whole season that didn't really understand that. Uh, so you'd much, I'd much rather prefer to kind of look at the what I did before before I continued the map down the road. But sometimes you don't get that chance, and you know, so I have right now two weeks of footage from my season four to look at as i think about season five well yeah so kind of as you um think about you know just just the genesis of of the adaptation going back and you know as you said you were influenced quite a bit by the novel kind of early on in your life it's interesting because i was influenced but i really even when I got the job, even when I got the job as 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 to write this script, I was not convinced that the way that Alfred ta- spoke in the book would translate to sound like real people talking. Hmm. You know, and it's very interesting because so much of what I do, you know, I, I'm not writing for you. I'm not. I have a tiny audience of people that reads my scripts. It's you know right. a few people at the studio and network at the show and then, you know, actors and, and crew people who kind of read it for their, you know, it's a business document to them. They read for their own stuff. So I'm not writing for kind of the bigger world. So your writing style in scripts doesn't seem to kind of matter, uh, you know, the, the stage direction and stuff, because why, why spend too much time on that when literally your audience is 200 people and no one will ever read it again. But with this and with the, with the book, one of the things I did when I was preparing to get my head around the book, uh, um, it had come out in a new audio version with Claire Danes reading it. Hmm. And so I bought, I had never listened to the book before and hearing it read by someone who was really a fan of the book understood hearing someone play with that language out loud was transformative. And I ended up going back and listening to the original uh, audio version to hear how different they were. And then I listened also, and those helped me bring her voice to life. And I don't think I would have given Lizzie nearly as much interesting stuff to work with if I hadn't kind of heard it read out loud, you know, like story time for Bruce. It really did help me realize because the book is written, you know, it's, it's, it's all spoken. It's the entire thing's voiceover. I mean, as a conceit, uh, it's supposed to be a, a found cassette tapes. So the whole thing is spoken. So the language is very important. You know, you gotta, that's your only way in. It's through June and her language. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. 
And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, talk a little bit about, and, and going back to not only kind of the, the genesis of um, the adaptation, but also kind of the prescience or the, um, the timing of kind of when you started to work on it and what was happening in you know, kind of real life and the political realm and, and, um, you know, just, just, there's a lot, there's a lot of subtext obviously in the book, but also bringing it to the small screen and to the streaming model at that very time in history to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how the, how everything, yeah, gelled. Well, yeah, it's, it turned out to be very prescient. I'm incredibly sorry about that. I'd love to be working on something that people said, oh, that would never happen. What a ridiculous (laughs) note. Yeah. When I started writing, it was before the primaries began for 2016. So I didn't even know who would be running. I, I, I mean, so Donald Trump hadn't even entered the election. I had, you know, there was no sense of what it was going to be like. And so we were shooting when Donald Trump was elected president. And we've been shooting the show through this, you know, our show goes on during the shit show. And so, um, you know, <laughs> so it, it I, you know, it's very interesting to be working on something that was written with such thoughtfulness and prescience by the author that really it was, it felt very timely when it came out and it feels very timely now. That's really Margaret Atwood's, uh, the miracle of The Handmaid's Tale is that you really do feel like, how could you write a book that when it was written 35 years ago felt just around the corner and today it feels just around the corner. That's a pretty, and every time I read it between the times it felt just around the corner. So I think a lot of the timeliness of the, of the, of the concept of the show was, is really from Margaret's foundational decisions about the world and about the characters. But when you're writing a show, you're influenced by the world around you. You're influenced by what people are, reading and talking and all that kind of stuff. And if you aren't, you know, uh, you know, then if you're not curious about the world around you, you're not going to be much of a writer on, you know, or the kind of writer who, who works out on, you know, who, who I tend to work with. So, you know, we have a very overly curious bunch. And uh, <laughs> so, so I'm sure whatever's happening in their life, good or bad comes into their scripts. I mean, I, I, I hope so. That's pretty fascinating. So um, I do understand that, um, Ms. Atwood served as a consulting producer at one point. How much, how much exposure to her or her, you know, kind of like w- what uh, influence did she actually have on the kind of the finished product for you? Uh, an, an enormous amount of influence. I mean, I mean, if I was terrified of pleasing one person, that, that would be it. I mean, it's, it's one thing to adapt a classic and, you know, usually the, the author is long gone and then the people you might offend are scholars or 
people, you know, fans, but, you know, here Margaret is still very, very, very much alive and very much still active in writing. And so, uh, you know, she could be, you know, and, and I love the book and, and was a huge fan. And so it was just a perfect opportunity to ruin all of that. You know, everything, <laughs> you know, one of your favorite books and one of your favorite authors. And she just says, Bruce, you're not a good writer. You know, that's all you need in the world. So the stakes were high personally, but Margaret, Margaret was involved from the very beginning. Um, she in fact was involved before I came to the project with the TV show. Of course she was involved with the book, but she had read the drafts that had been written before I came on board when the project was at Showtime. So um, when I came on board, I kind of pitched my stuff. I I sent her my outlines. I wrote scripts. And then there was a weekend where she read my first two episodes. And I did I, I did not go to the bathroom that weekend. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. And, and so then she called on Monday, and she really liked them. She wanted to know what carpet munching was. Uh, which was a really interesting <laughs> note, which was one of my favorite emails to save. Uh, she goes, Oh, I just Googled it. I, I, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, which was spectacular, but she, and she's just the most wonderful, you know, she, and, and so she's been very kind to me, uh, as a, as a colleague, as a friend, as a, as a, you know, someone who, who is an advocate for the show and, and an advocate for kind of giving me, uh, you know, encouraging me to, to, to follow my creative voices, even, you know, w- you know, even if she, she, you know, doesn't raise her hand when it's different from what she decided, she's very interested to see where it might go that she hadn't thought of. So uh, she could not be a better partner. So the way I, she's involved in the first season, you know, she, she still gets every script, gets every outline, gets every script. When they, you know, go into the producers, she gets them. She's a producer on the show. I would meet with her more, but she's busier than you and me combined. I mean, it's hmm. like un- unbelievable, you know? Uh, so what the first season we saw each other a lot and I was able to kind of screen a bunch of episodes for her and her partner, um, Graham, who just passed away, but he was around then. It was such a pleasure to bring those two guys to deluxe in Toronto and sit in like a perfect theater with the best picture and sound you've ever had in your life hmm. and see them really enjoying the episodes and how terrifying they were and that kind of thing. So that was really fun. Um, uh, and most seasons she's been able to, you know, uh, you know, I've been able, even when she's been around the world to make sure she gets to see episodes and, because, you know, you know, she's a big traveler and a busy person, but what I think we've settled into the most important contact we have, I feel like is there is a conversation I usually have with her near the end of the season when I start to talk to her about my notions for the next season. Now it's not, I'm not looking for her to, to give it the stamp of approval. I'm looking to discuss it with her as, you know, kind of the, the, the parent of the story. And so she's, she's very, I mean, if she didn't like something, she would say she didn't like it, but she's, Mm -hmm. but it's, 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 she's wonderfully, um, happy to discuss and tear apart and rebuild a, 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 an approach to a season. So, so we usually meet then. And then I usually try to meet her at the very beginning of the season, right? When I get up to Toronto, if she happens to be in town um, and, you know, usually, you, you know, I, uh, the first year she came to the set and that was wonderful. And she's always invited and she'd always love to come. And sometimes we're in her neighborhood shooting, but you know, uh, she's very connected to the show. I, I, she's been, gracious the show would not work without her the show you know if if she was didn't like it if she if she 
you know, just was neutral about what we were doing, it wouldn't have nearly the uh, gravitas that it has as a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, that relationship. Talk a little bit about just kind of the day in the life of a, um, a television producer and writer. Um, when you're, you know, maybe when you're not wearing all the hats, but kind of uh, working with the writers room, working with kind of the Bible, and you know, kind of just the process of getting getting a single episode to where it needs to be polished. You know, I know you're constantly working on uh, scripts, but yeah, talk a little bit about kind of a day in the life and then maybe some indispensable, um, tools that you personally, um, kind of lean on just in in a normal, in a normal situation, not a pandemic situation. (laughs) Yeah. My tools, my toolbox has changed substantially, but, um, I think, uh, I, I, I like a kind of a corporate, more corporate predictable structure. I find that I am much more comfortable if I know what the schedule is going to be. What, and so, and I know my writers are much more comfortable knowing, you know, as much as you could say. So, so my, my biggest kind of behind the scenes way I think about it is uh, every week I kind of wake up on, on Monday morning and I say, okay, well, what's the goal for the week? And sometimes it's just to kind of, you know, talk through the first few episodes, whatever, but set some kind of goal and then talk about that in the room as the very first thing. Uh, because it's such a gushy job that we all have. It's nice to know, hey, I, I don't know where we're going to go, but we got to where you wanted to go at Friday. You know, and mm-hmm. that's all you can do is break it down into, you know, it's like, how else are you going to do it? You know, it's like production is all about the schedule. You have to get this stuff done by Friday. You know, every minute of every day, if you're ahead or behind, Writing's a hundred percent the opposite, and so it makes it difficult in that way um, to uh, to do those things. You know, with the same group of people, one of them is very uh, anal about time, and the writers, it's a little more squidgy, not schedule wise, but just kind of how things happen is a little more squidgy. Mm-hmm. So that's my introduction to why a day is squidgy. So what I'll tell you is kind of the <laughs> typical day, and the typical day kind of never happens. But I. Um, I've been doing this a long time, and I wasn't kidding when I said I've been fired from a lot of shows. I have. Not really fired, but my it didn't work out. My option wasn't picked up. I didn't do a good enough job to stay around. And that doesn't mean I didn't meet fantastic people and fantastic showrunners who were kind and helpful and wonderful and encouraging along the way. But it took me a very long time to settle into someplace. So I got kind of exposed to a lot of different people's modus operandi, you know, kind of how they scheduled their day, what they did right, what was frustrating to me as a writer. So I I came into it with, in a bad way, much more experience with showrunners than most (laughs) people have because I had been fired so many times. So uh, I I came to it with, you know, kind of a panoply of of different from, you know, all these really great, you know, voices, very talented people. Some were wonderful, some were assholes, some were wonderful assholes. It was all, you know, it's just different kinds of people. But so I usually, I I like to start the room around 10 and, um, and I usually like people to kind of arrive around nine and then you can kind of, because I think the important part of the day is actually from nine to 10 rather than 10 on Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of everybody hanging out and talking and drinking coffee and getting your shit together. And uh, so uh, in the room, um, we have couches, not a, a table. I don't believe in tables. Uh, uh, we don't uh, ever, we don't, I've never been on a show that actually had a Bible. Um, we don't really have, I mean, some at some show I had to write one once, but just because some executive was mad. Uh, we don't have a Bible <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, our Bible is kind of 
the Handmaid's Tale and the Bible Bible. Yeah. Um, so we use we use those, but um, we we do have ways of keeping institutional memory alive. We have a very strong timeline. We have writers' assistants who keep track of of how old people are because we our show flashes back and moves forward in time. So you gotta be thoughtful about that timeline and, and really be uh, think it through and try to get it as you know you can fail, but try to get it as right as you can. You know. So in the room, we usually. I like to have a kind of a rather large staff and I'll kind of talk about that in a second, but usually we start as a group, start talking about the, the first episode or the second episode. But let's say we're talking about an episode in the middle of the season. The first thing I always like to do is talk about where everybody was at the end of the previous episode. Even if it's not a direct continuation of the storyline, where were all my people story-wise? And usually by the end of that conversation, you have a sense of where you're starting your next episode. Just by the end of mm-hmm. where we were is where we are. So, and then you kind of where we are kind of starts to indicate where you're going. So you can get a lot of that work done. I, I'm a firm believer in someone has to be in, in, in charge in the room. So if it isn't you, you got to tell someone else to be in charge. And if you're not the person in charge, don't be in charge. Let the other person do it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and if you're in charge, you're, you're, job is to come up with the question they're trying to solve and if you're not the person in charge your job is to solve that fucking question that's your job solve it or make it disappear with another brilliant idea but but that's all you're trying to do you know you know you don't you don't overthink it so i like to have someone in charge and we talk very generally i don't try to assign the episodes too early i kind of wait till we're a little deeper into what it's going to be about and it's nothing about i don't assign them based on uh who writes what well at all at all. I, I mean, I, I don't even keep the track of those things. I don't think of people that way. Um, I just decide it in terms of who I want in the room when, you know, who do I want to lose from the room when they go off to write. So um, the room usually meets till lunchtime. We take a little time off for lunch. And then usually I would say in a normal day uh, when we don't, when I don't have anything else to do, we can spend about five or six hours in the room at most. Um, and that, uh, we'll go down when we, you know, just over time through the season. But I, I would say most days it's more like uh, five, four. It's getting even shorter because we're getting as we do it more, we're getting more efficient. Uh, and then I, I, I very much like to send people home as early as possible because there are sometimes when as early as possible is very late, and so you just want to make sure. You know, when you people don't need to sit there, especially nowadays with phones and email, you know, if they want to go home and pick up their kids from school, God bless, you know, because there's going to be a Saturday where I'm going to need them mm. or I'm going to need them to go to Toronto, like on 24 hours notice because <laughs> I don't want to. And so right. you have all that. So I, the reason I have a bigger room is that what I usually like to do is you're, you're talking about episode one, you talk about episode one, you kind of say, okay, this is what's going to happen in episode one. These are the, the big things, Bob and, Ray are going to kiss and, you know, the rest of the people are going to burn down the house and that's all going to happen in episode one. Then what I like to do is spin off a small group to talk about episode two. So you spin off three or four people into another room. They start talking about episode two. Meanwhile, you really dig in and as a group break beat by beat the episode of, of episode um, one. That's what we do all together. Put it up on the board with index cards, you know, every single scene or you know, beat of the story, however you want to define it. Uh, very spare. We don't, I don't write very much on the cards. 
Uh, you just want to kind of show the twists and turns of the story. And then you bring the people in from the other room and you pitch them the first episode. They haven't heard the whole break, so they're new to it. You get a fresh eye. And then they tell you what they think episode two is about. So you're never looking at a blank board. When you pull off the episode to go off, have the person go off and write the outline, episode two, you already kind of know what you're talking about. And hmm. so if you do that all season long, you you kind of get those first awkward moments where you feel empty, where you feel like it's not going to rain this time. You're not going to come up with an idea. You can get rid of those periods, which I think are kind of the most stressful for a group of writers when they feel like they're staring at each other and no one has anything that anybody else likes. So I can kind of get that out of the way. And because a lot of my job is to keep everybody's anxiety down and, and writers have a lot of anxiety. Actors have a lot of anxiety. I mean, they do, they do very weird things for a lot of money. It's a very strange business for him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you've given us a glimpse inside the, on the hive mind there. Yes. Talk a little bit about, I know you've got some, some interesting upcoming projects that aren't The Handmaid's Tale, but um, yeah, give us a glimpse of kind of what you have, um, you know, what else you've got going on. I know that um, you've been tapped for some other adaptations and uh, maybe talk a little bit about what you, what you're hearing about the uh, sequel to the Hamid's tale, the Testaments, which was published last year, right? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, who is making the, the Testaments? I think we're, you know, oh, how much I'll be involved depends on how much I'm involved in other things. I mean, I really feel like if we're going to do another show that takes place uh, in uh, as a continuation of this handmade story of June's story, I certainly want to be, you know, uh, involved if, if 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 they'll have me. So, um, so I'm working on those things. I I actually feel like, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to work on this show is I felt like the book presented a world that was so tantalizing that I just wanted to expand it. So that you know, you kind of think, oh well. How could you possibly write this many seasons? It's like I, I'm endlessly fast. I want to see the Nuremberg trials of these people. I want to see, mm. you know, I, all those things. You know, I want to see what happens. What happens when Gilead falls? How does that look? When a country like that falls apart with nuclear weapons? I mean, what does that look like? So anyway, I, um, I'm fascinated by all of that stuff. Um, but um, so, so I've been trying. You know, you know, when you get to, you, I. I have a production company and, and I've been working to try to get some, uh, 
projects going with other writers because I, I want to, I, I know so many writers who are excellent and, and have great ideas and stuff. So it, it makes a natural connection. So one of the things I'm working on is, is there's a, a book that was just published called These Women. Um, and it was, it's Ivy Picado, I think. I always forget how to pronounce her last name. A, a brilliant writer. Beautiful, beautiful book um, about a terrible, terrible thing. But it's, um, it's a book about um, uh, just a, a series of killings in South Central Los Angeles that are of women who just kind of society discards. They just, you know, sex workers and people who are invisible. And, and it isn't investigated. And the book takes place primarily 16 years later when, when, people are still dealing with this aftermath of losing all the children and they never caught the person. And then he, he may be back, but it's a beautiful book about Los Angeles. And it's a beautiful book about these women, um, all of the women in the story. Uh, so, um, uh, Ivy is, is working on that with me and, but we'll, I, I probably won't write it. I'll, I'm looking for someone else to, to do it. I, you know, I, I was not qualified by gender to be the showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. The last thing I want to do is make that mistake twice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and and then um, uh, I'm working on um, uh, something called Twisted, which is about the uh, gymnastics scandal. Hmm. And uh, that's a very interesting project. Um, so we're kind of figuring that out. And a few other things, a few other books and original things. The, the problem is always, you know, you have more ideas than time. That's always, yeah. you know, I would love to, you know, be doing things, but, you know, I do like sleep and I actually like my family. So <laughs> it's, it's tough if you want to do all these things, but, but it's uh, a very, it's a champagne problem. Definitely. Champagne problem. You've got some, uh, some fantastic, uh, adjectives, <laughs> uh, today. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. Do you want to, um, drop any first of all uh what are you what are you watching right now what are you streaming uh any any loves or or are you going back to old collections of uh, uh, uh vhs tapes or what are you what are you watching over there um i i'm watching outer banks with my daughter who's 15 um and i'm enjoying it quite a bit it's really it's it's fun and and uh very fast-paced and a lot of good young actors so that's a that's been very entertaining and I really liked it. I've been really enjoying it. I'm not at the end yet, so I don't know what's happened, know what the, the the secret mysteries are. But uh, I've been liking that. And other than that, m- almost entirely, I've been listening to listening to books and reading books. I I read incredibly slowly, and this time has helped me. Uh, I'm very moderately to, to pretty dyslexic, you know, and so I read <laughs> super slowly. So this has been spectacular time for me to read at the pace that I actually read, which is delightfully painfully slow and i'm really enjoying that <laughs> what are, what's sitting on your nightstand right now um well i just finished rereading these women which i which i really enjoyed um and um i read a, a bunch of essays by eb white he wrote from the new yorker the guy who wrote charlotte's web a long sure. time ago the favorite writing style um and i am trying to finish this biography of uh, Ulysses at Grant, S. Grant. That's fascinating, but but it's ways more than I do. So uh, <laughs> you know, I I'm, I think I'm casting a wide net is what is what I'm doing. So, uh, but I'm I'm you know such a weird time. I'll read anything that you know is transporting for five minutes. I'm not trying to get anything accomplished during yeah. this time. I'm just trying to keep 
uh, sane and keep my, uh, and keep the show going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, before we, uh, end with kind of any advice that you have to aspiring, uh, scribes, TV writers or or what have you. Um, yeah. Do you want to, uh, point listeners anywhere aside from the, uh, fantastic work of the handmaid's tale over there on Hulu and, uh, you know, any other, uh, outlets that you want to point listeners to to connect with you out in the real world or in the uh, virtual world um uh they they can uh find me on twitter and it's um bruce miller b-r-o-o-s-e miller um <laughs> on twitter uh if they would like to find me that way but i think advice is more my strong suit i you know i would say there's a lot, a lot of worrying about kind of how to get in the business and how to kind of break in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, focus on your writing because you, you may or may not get your chance. That's, I know those things are hard and they require a lot of work and a lot of luck, but if you get your chance and you can't write, that's it. So just mm. work on your writing. It's much harder to become a good writer than to, you know, kiss ass enough to get someone to read your script. And if, because if you get someone to read your script, it better be really the best ones you can do. So that's what I encourage people to do is, you know, worry about that part of it. Oh, that's a great place to, to wrap it up. Thank you so much for taking the time and congrats just on all of the successes and, and, uh, here's to future successes and, uh, yeah, come back and wrap with us again sometime. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Was that okay for you? That was really good. What is it? Yeah. Like making a symphony about, you know, a dog. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, but yeah, I know really do appreciate your, your time and your work and, uh, really, um, impressed with, uh, gosh, the show is amazing. And it's just, it's I was going to say, all, it's all yeah, busy. I was going to say, um, something to the effect of, oh, I just got like this city of men. Uh, oh, yeah. vibe and, and i couldn't figure i couldn't figure out if like city of men was a was a uh a nod to atwood um because i didn't really look into the origins of that of that story i, I don't know i think it might be from another book but yeah, it, I, it definitely yeah. influenced me in a way to show a dystopia that felt like just their that person's real world and not like a fiction that's it helped a lot you know and a lot a lot of the way that movie did it for me was just they never ever focused on the the they focused on the scene as if none of the um, stuff that was supposed to be futuristic mattered any more than anything else yeah they shot it they were shot shooting the most boring scene ever so everything was was known to the people nothing was weird so you know in a lot of movies all they're like if you see which is a great show i i really think uh the uh the one about nazis taking over america um yeah 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 a man in high tower but no yeah 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 man in high castle high castle um, thank you there there are there are swastikas everywhere and they linger on them all the time <laughs> right. like, okay i get it but 
So in <laughs> Handmaids, we try never to linger on the handmaiden thing. We yeah. kind of just linger on how weird it looks to have them walking past with CVS. You know, that's the yeah. weird part. Yeah, so. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I will go yeah. back to work and try to make season four <laughs> as right. good as the other ones. Thank you so much.